How's everybody doing? Hope everybody's doing well. Thank you for joining me once again. What happened to the Saints Monday night? What was up with that? What happened there? I was suspicious about their defense. I didn't think that defense was that good. But I didn't think they were that bad either. Give up three touchdowns to David Carr? What? That's not right. That can't be right. Now, I had the Saints minus four. That didn't go. That didn't hit. But I had Alvin Kamara anytime touchdown. That landed for me. I gave that out on FancyPreston.com. But I was just confused with the Saints team. But I'm also starting to think of this Raiders team now as like this team that sneaks up on you. Like you're not ready for this team. You think you're ready. But then they hit you with that what in the world is going on and you're just, it's too late. It's too late to apologize. There were a lot of good games on Sunday. I mean, we can recap some of those. Um, some of the good ones, at least. Like, I didn't think much of the Cardinals game against the Washington football team. 30-15. to 15. Washington just seems like a team that's just going to be around and they'll like hang around a little bit. They'll, they'll chill. But if you put some distance between yourself and that team, like you're good. That's the game. Bye bye. You don't have to, like, it's over. Buffalo versus Miami. I'm not trying to look at this Jag or this Miami Dolphins team in an ignorant way. But I just, without, if you're not going to start that kid you drafted to uh, at quarterback, I don't have any faith in this Ryan Fitzpatrick guy. Like, I've seen what he can do. We've seen him before. But every time he wins, it feels like it's a miracle. Like, sort of that Tim Tebow feeling, but not as good of a feeling. Like, it's a miracle when Ryan Fitzpatrick wins a football game. Like, for some reason, Miami just, I don't know what it is about this franchise. They just seem to do it wrong when it comes to starting the right people. Like, they just don't start the right guys. Like, you go and play Buffalo and you play them tough. And a lot of that is in part to Ryan Fitzpatrick. But you still lost. You still, at the end of the day, everybody remembers if you won or lost, and you lost. So now you got this, like, super soft Miami team that no one's scared of, that no one cares. And then you got this really good Buffalo team that's like they're, they were just challenged and they showed that they can be challenged and they can win. So, I mean, that's the bottom line on that. But like Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, like he gets no love. He gets no respect. He gets no credit from the uh, big, big mainstream sports media types. He gets no credit from them. And the kid's good. You know what I mean? He's got a good arm. He's got good pocket awareness and he'll scramble. Like he just showed you on Sunday that he's down to scramble all over the place. And then you got Singletary running the ball. Singletary's going to get his, you know, he's a tough runner and physical fights for the extra yards. Like I always like guys like that. But then like you look at the San Francisco 
49ers game against the Jets. You're like, you just feel, you can't help but feel bad for the Jets. You can't help but feel bad for Jets fans that won't switch because they're dedicated and they're real fans. They're not these fake, fraudulent soy boys that flip-flop teams all the time. But these Jets fans that really are diehard Jets fans, you'll know. You'll know who they are because um, they have plenty to say about their team. And the 49ers just crushed this Jets team. Like, the Jets never had a chance. They they never had a chance. From the moment this game kicked off, you just felt it, that the Jets had, there's no energy. No energy. They had 13 points and barely were able to get that. Like, they barely mustered up 13 points. You're telling me this Jets team could barely get 13 points? Wow. So the 49ers are in a lot of trouble. Here's why. They've had, they had like four or five injuries, but here's the big takeaway from that. Starting quarterback down. So now Jimmy, Jimmy G, he's out. Okay. So Jimmy Garoppolo, boom, he's pushed that to the side. That's out the freaking window. So then you got Raheem Mozart or Mozart running back is one of the best in the freaking league. Um, he's out. You're tied in. He's gimping the whole game. Um, Bosa, uh, the defensive lineman, he he gets hurt. Like this team, I've been watching football a long time, like a long, long time. And I mean, I watch teams and games that you would be like, "Who are these people? Who?" And I've never seen. The injury's that bad. The only thing I remember was like prior to the season, the Packers had a lot of injuries in that 2010 early uh, spring and everything. Like there was a lot of injuries coming into the summer, working all the way up into the season. And then just the injuries totaled up for the Packers a year. They went to the Super Bowl and made that Super Bowl run. And I mean, yes, that was an incredible run for the Packers, but my point really is, like, I haven't seen anything like that in 10 years. Like, it's been a long time since I've seen that. And the reason I think we've seen that, though, um, a lot of that was because the game, like, was evolving so much. But I think we've seen that for the Packers um, just because of, like, how hard Mike McCarthy's teams were known to practice compared to other teams in the NFL. Like, for some reason, every year we felt like with Mike McCarthy as head coach, like, no disrespect, but we had too many injuries, for my liking. Like, obviously, you could say one's too many, but obviously, if you get an abundance, it's never good. So this 49ers team is in trouble, man. Like, they're in some serious uh, stuff right now, and they're stepping in it. And it's really no fault of their own, because the season is just weird, and they're just one of those teams that happen to get this injury bug. You got Denver, you know, versus Pittsburgh. And I, you know, I told you, Denver would get this. And they they didn't get it. Pittsburgh did get this, but it was so close. And Denver got the injury bug. Their starting quarterback got hurt. Dude, it's so hard to overcome a game when your starting quarterback gets hurt. You know, and Jerry Judy, obviously, you know, now he's got to deal with, you know, you got your rookie wide receiver who's got to deal with a young quarterback, Jeff Driscoll. 
Then, you know, and I like Jeff Driscoll. He played at Florida University. I watched him play for the Florida Gators. He was very good. He's a very talented kid. And, uh, you know, do I think he's a, an elite level quarterback? I don't know. That's to be determined. I think he's a great guy to have on the bench for a reason or in a scenario just like this for if something like an injury takes place to your starting quarterback. Like he's the perfect guy to swap in. But then you look at this Pittsburgh team. You got Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben at the quarterback. You know, you got the guy I got in fantasy, James Conner at running back. And you got different weapons like Juju Smith-Schuster. You have other weapons like that you can use on offense, and it's starting to really work out for this team. Like, I'm not – like, if I'm wrong, I can admit that I was wrong. But it it's not that I was as wrong as much as – Denver had so much stacked against him that I didn't account for. So Pittsburgh gets that win, and I'll make sure to focus a lot harder on that because that's one team to watch out for. They're a lot like the Raiders. Like, Pittsburgh's a team that they'll sneak up on you. Like, you don't – I don't think we – like, anybody really knew how good this defense was until we'd just seen these first two games. Like, now you know. These defenses are for real. Minnesota versus Indianapolis. Like, did anybody else just see this coming? Like, I knew the Colts would get this. I knew the Colts were going to win. And they won the way I thought they would win. Like, I I have to admit, man, some of these tweets I see are so cringy from people. Uh, During, you know, when I'm flipping around uh in, in on uh NFL red zone and it's flipping around for me and then you're seeing like the different games and stuff and I'm seeing people talk about like TY Hilton and everything on this Colts team. But like what does it like I understand from a fantasy aspect because I had TY Hilton in fantasy. So I understand in a PPR league. So I understand that. But I'm not like you people gotta chill out. Like it's not really worth uh crowing over like and and getting all upset about and harping on it like it's it is what it is i knew the colts would win i mean when you want to you want to look at stats and other things stats are for the losers it really comes down to who wins and who loses the game so when you look at passing yards Phillip Rivers threw for 214 yards compared to Kirk Cousins threw for 113 yards. Like, this Colts defense is not as good as they looked yesterday or on Sunday. They're not that good. They're not that that good. But what they did were they were able to exploit so many areas where the Vikings were struggling that the same type of ways they struggled against the Packers and where they had their struggles against the Packers. So, Kirk Cousins throws three interceptions. He completed 11 passes. And through four quarters, he completed 11 passes. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, Vikings fans. Like, I don't know what the what the hope is here. I think you hope that Dalvin Cook, because now your linebacker's out, right? Your best defensive player, Barr, is out. So, that definitely hurts the secondary a lot more than it's already hurt right now because it's inexperienced and it's their Viking secondary, their cornerbacks and their safeties. Those guys are really young. So they're, that's a really difficult situation because 
when you're when they're playing against a lot of teams, a lot of teams do have a little bit more of experience receiving core, and that's one thing that you'll notice in this game. Like go through the highlights of it. Um, the Colts just picked on this team. Like Philip Rivers just picked on this team. Like Jonathan Taylor ran well. That was good. Like he was. He's a great running back. He's going to be a great running back in this league. He's a future. Awesome, talented back that you're going to see for many years to come, I hope. And he was awesome in college at Wisconsin. But, I mean, he definitely got his due. He got a ton of carries. He got 101 yards, a touchdown. He had a great day. And that really helped Phillip Rivers out. But now you know, like as a Vikings fan, you know, all right, our defense can't get uh gashed in the run game, and we get sliced up in the passing game pretty bad. So, like, as far as that goes, like, your offensive caliber has to be twice as good as it was these first two games. Like, against the Packers, your offense picked it up late. And in this game, there wasn't anything for three quarters. Like, for three quarters of this game, the Minnesota Vikings had three points. And they were able to get eight points in the fourth quarter. Like, that's just not going to cut it, man. Like, that's not going to cut it. I just don't understand this situation with the Vikings right now. And a lot of the NFC North, like, just doesn't look good. Besides, like, the Packers and I would say the Bears are, look okay um, in a lot of different areas. I wouldn't say the Bears look great. I'd say the Packers are pretty close to looking great. I wouldn't say they look great through two games. That's not a big enough sample size. But once we get to four or five games, that's a good sample size. You'll You'll really have something to go off of in four or five games. Because you'll be able to look at this, this these games coming up this week, and then these, the next two after that, and that's where you'll be able to start to draw from and look at where momentum is uh, for the longer uh, part of the season. Start to get fans into the games, and like the Falcons, I've seen October 11th, they're going to be able to have fans into their game, like limited, but still, you got to get the fans involved. Because I think that also is affecting the game and some of these low scores. Jets 13 points, Vikings 11 points. Like yes, you you got to give credit to the team defense that's that only allowed that many points. But you also have to be open minded to the fact that okay, there's no fans, there's no noise. Like the energy level's low. If you're losing and you get down big. Now it's twice as hard to come back because now we have no energy. So, yeah, you know, and the energy starts in the locker room. But I just don't like going around the simple fact that without fans, the game's really lacking that. It's lacking a serious element, and it's very cringy. It's not very exciting. But because I love football, it's 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 easy for me to watch. Um, But it'd be a lot better with fans. You know, Shannon Sharp made the comment once. You're never going to win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback. I'm inclined to agree with that because I've watched Ryan Tannehill play, and I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. I think there's a big difference between the two. He has good mechanics. His footwork in the pocket is okay. He has good pocket awareness. But the problem Ryan Tannehill has is he doesn't have – he's not clutch. And coming down the stretch, he, he doesn't know how to battle back. But what he was able to show me in this game against the Jaguars 
was that he's still the crafty veteran. And with a good running attack with Derrick Henry, you got uh, Jonu Smith has been stepping up at wide receiver. Jonu Smith. Uh, he caught two touchdowns on four catches. And, I mean, you got guys that are stepping up. You know, 84 yards, four catches, two touchdowns. This is really good. Ryan Tannehill was finding his guys. He had four touchdowns passing the ball. Gardner Minshew, young guy. I really like him. I think he's very talented. I'm very excited for this future NFL quarterback battles that we're going to see. Patrick Mahomes, Gardner Minshew. The list goes on, you know. It's just there's a lot of young quarterbacks right now. Lamar Jackson, you know, there's a lot of guys that are starting to get a lot of experience under their belt, which is really good for the league. When I look at this run game for the Jaguars, for some reason, like, it works. Like, their offensive line doesn't get any credit. Like, people need to give this Jaguars offensive line credit. Because for most of this game, they were outscored. And only in the third quarter did the Jaguars score more points than Tennessee by one, seven, six in the third quarter. This goes all the way. Um, no, I take that back two times. In the fourth quarter, they scored 13 opposed to Tennessee's three. And that goes back to what I was saying about Ryan Tannehill and Fending the team off, holding the team off, being able to sustain the lead and keep the lead um, instead of having to battle back, which you're not good at that. So you want to get out in front and stay out in front and uh, use your, you let your defense do their job, set you up with good field position, which is usually the case with this Titans defense. But the Jaguars were, were very good against the Titans defense and it, it is a little bit of a precursor going forward uh, for these two teams. You know that you can score points on these two teams, and you can do it in different ways. Like the Jaguars, they're going to be—they're going to try to run the ball on you. That's going to set up their passing game. But Gardner Minshew is a gunslinger. He'll—he'll he'll just throw it in that he don't care mentality. Like I'm just going to—I'll force the ball in there. He threw two picks, three touchdowns against the Titans. Tannehill was almost perfect, man. I mean, 18 for 24, 239 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, he was solid. But it's, again, in the fourth quarter. And then you get in the, like, then go back to the third quarter. They were outscored by only one. But still, it was like there's an issue in the second half. This is like the Titans are not a good second-half team in the last six, seven games. Like they haven't been going back to last year. Like they haven't been a good second half team. Like that's how they got beat originally in the playoffs. So, you know, I look at this Titans team and I see like, okay, the sky is the limit for this team. But the problem they're going to have is if you let the Jaguars score 30 on you with very young receiving core, young backfield, young quarterback, you know, that's where you're going to struggle against a little more experienced teams because now the Jaguars are 1-1 season after this loss. Titans are 2-0, and um, and, they, and they move on. But I just I think there's a lot to be learned from this game for both teams. Like you, for a, On one end, you're seeing that Gardner Minshew is coming to his own. He challenges team down in the second half, and the stretch was almost able to pull off 
uh, a win. But the Titans, um, with veteran leadership, are were able to hold off this team. And it, it, it just says a lot for where this Titans team is at. So like I said, the sky's the limit for this Titans team. They're going to challenge every team they play. Like I see this as one of those teams. Like they're playing to the level of their opponent. And the Jaguars are one of those teams too. So I mean that that's a future matchup you could see in the playoffs. No doubt about it. I mean that that definitely could be somewhere in the playoffs we could see these two teams going at it. Like that's definitely in the cards. I would like to see that in the playoffs. Uh Jaguars versus Titans game. Later on in the season, you know what I mean? After they get, you know, all their division business handled, now get into the playoffs and then we'd see what, who the better team was at, you know, at that point of the season when these guys get a little more reps. A lot more reps, you, you know, you know what I mean. Dallas first errors, uh, Atlanta and Dallas pulls out the crazy onside kick. Get the ball with like the perfect spot. Like it was just pitcher perfect for the Cowboys, the way they ended that game. Like you can't ask for a better ending as a Cowboys fan. Like Cowboys fans are never down. That's one thing I know about the Cowboys. Fans. Like the Cowboys fans are never upset. They get beat by 40 points and come to you and tell you that they're going to win the Super Bowl. Like Cowboys fans are just that breed of people. The Atlanta Falcons are 0-2. I really thought they would get that one, man. Like, that was just a debacle. And, like, they they had serious some, some issues in the second half again. They're not a second-half team. You're already starting to see that, like, who's good where. The Cowboys start off really slow, and if you let them hang around, they'll beat you, and that's what happened. And the Falcons are a good first half team, but then in the second half they just don't have it. They they fall apart. Second half, Falcons scored a total of ten points. Compared to Dallas scored thirty points in the second half. I mean, that's a big difference. You know, you're you're talking big numbers. Matt Ryan, you know, he he's just the great regular season quarterback. Like you're going to look at the Madden video game, it's like Matt Ryan, like the best regular season quarterback. That should be his little thing, his mantra. Like he's like the best regular season quarterback to have. Like if you're a Falcons fan, you love this guy. But what you don't like is that games like this, but also that you can't win in the playoffs, which they're not going to do this year. But focusing on this game, Todd Gurley, you know, he wasn't really impressive. He ran the ball, what, 21, 21 times for. 61 yards. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't look good. Calvin really had a huge game. I mean, that that guy's a beast. He's a freaking monster. CeeDee Lamb, I had him in fantasy. He had six catches for 106 yards, 108 yards. 106. So, I mean... 106 yards, that was good. That was good for my fantasy. My fantasy went pretty well, actually, because I put C.D. Lamb in there after I swapped out uh, I swapped out somebody that ended up not having a good week, so I made a good decision there. That ended up working in my favor. Dak Prescott, you know, I can't say enough about how talented he is. I, I'm not a fan of Dak Prescott. 
I, I like his game. I think he's good. I just, I'm not a fan. I'm not a Cowboys fan either. 34 for 47. 450 yards and a touchdown. That's a monster day. You have to give this, this Cowboys team credit for that. Like they did not want to be 0 2. You, like, that was the feeling they gave you. And that was good for them. That's good for their franchise. And that's good for momentum going forward. One thing, well, two things you could take away from that game. Like, one way I look at that, I go, well, Matt Ryan, Dak Prescott, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, you're bouncing out the teams. Calvin Ridley, C.D. Lamb. Okay, so you know who's who, right? You know who's who. You know what you're going to get out of these guys. That's You know there's a lot of offensive firepower. But then look at the score of the game. This is the second part. Look at the score of the game, 40-39. to 39. If you score 30-something points, you're supposed to win. Like, no, no, no excuses. I don't know. You score 30 some points, you win the game. No, no, nothing else. So both these defenses are suspect and firepower played a lot into this, but it wasn't, that wasn't all that played into it. Like there isn't a silver lining here. And that's that the defenses are both going to give up points a lot this year. So like my advice, like fantasy wise, I don't have either of these defenses. If you have these defenses, it's time to get a different defense. Like no doubt. It's time. Rams versus Philly. Here's another, you know, team, Eagles. I, I don't care for the Eagles this year. I don't like it. I don't like what that is looking like over there. I don't like that Carson Wentz deal. I don't like um what what they got going on over there. I'm not a fan of that. Carson Wentz through two picks. He's, I don't know. He might be one of those guys, too, though, that, like, gets hot later in the year. Like, he might just be one of those guys. Like, he's just, like, right now you're looking like, wow, this guy's not good. How could he start? But then, like, later on in the year, like, he'll turn it on. They'll still win 10 games or something. Like So, don't count the Eagles out. But I'd say, like, based off what I've seen, not a, that's not impressive. Like, in this game, they had a good second quarter. That's the only quarter the Eagles scored more points than the Rams. So, like, the the Eagles had a good second quarter. But in the entire game, the Rams just were better through this whole game. 37-19 final score, Rams over the Eagles. I mean, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, all these different weapons. I just like all these different weapons that Jared Goff has. He goes 20 for 27. 267 yards, three touchdowns. They rush for 81 yards. Henderson, Henderson rushes for 81 yards. I mean, they were just able to do it all. And Goff looked good. He looked like he had his form is, is starting to get back to where it needs to be. Giants versus the Bears. I mean, there's only a few things I could tell you about this game. One thing for certain is that the Giants had opportunity to win this game. Probably two opportunities to take the lead, but one opportunity for sure to win this game. And they had a good momentum swing that they didn't capitalize with. 
Uh, so Kwan Barkley, he gets hurt. He's injured. He's out for the year. Very bad news. We wish him, you know, I wish him the best. And I just, I look at the Giants team and I'm just like, it's just not going to happen. Like this Daniel Jones, a quarterback, like your receiver, your best receiver of the day was Ingram. I just, I don't see it, man. Like, I don't see it. And like my instinct initially was like, wow, the Giants got pretty good defense. They only, they did it hold the Bears to 70 points, which was good. But they were only able to score 13. They go 0-2 on the season. The Bears, they go 2-0 on the season, 1-0 at home. And I just knew the Bears would win this. You know, when I, we talked about it on the last podcast, I gave you the, I gave you the Bears. I mean, it was, it was obvious to me because I said I, I knew like in my head, like Trubisky's going to throw a pick. He ended up throwing two picks. But I was like, he's going to throw a pick. This defense is pretty good. A couple guys played against Trubisky before. Um, maybe more than a couple guys, but I know for sure a couple guys have. I'm like, they're gonna they're gonna cause some trouble here. So you know they were able to limit the Bears. So I wasn't really impressed with the Bears, but I was impressed with the Bears defense. Not the not the whole team, but the Bears defense I was impressed with. With Trubisky, there's still a lot of work to do. He didn't break 200 yards, but he did throw for two touchdowns. He's got uh, Montgomery who's stepping up, which is really good. They they're, they will need that. The Bears will need Montgomery to be big in every game uh, if they want to win every game. Um, that's what the Bears need. And then um, they have one of the best receivers in the league, Allen Robinson. So... I mean, I'm I'm all about that. I think that's a good combination, but I don't trust uh, Trubisky very much at quarterback against the uh, better teams in the league. Like he's gonna pick on. He didn't really pick on this Giants team because, like I say, he threw the two picks, but he was able to get the two touchdowns uh, when they, you know, especially at the times when they needed them, like early in the game to set the tone. And the Bears defense was just keeping the Giants offense quiet, you know, until the third quarter. Like, it was just a good feeling for the Bears. But you also feel like, well, in that fourth quarter and in the third quarter, the Bears didn't score any points. The Bears didn't score any points in the third quarter. The Bears didn't score 80 points in the fourth quarter. And I was like, that's not a good sign. That's never a good thing. The Packers destroyed the Lions. I mean, they just destroyed the Lions. And early on, it was like, whoa. It was a surreal Twilight Zone episode feeling. Detroit Lions quickly, quickly got out to a lead. Uh, they scored 14 points in that first quarter. I'm sitting there like, whoa, this is insane. And then... uh and because they did it with such ease. It was so easy. It was like, whoa, it didn't even feel like there was anything stopping anybody. Like, there was nothing stopping these guys. And the Packers were able to kick a field goal. They should have had two touchdowns. They were unable to convert a couple times. I mean, they, that first, the Packers need to work on the first quarter. That's my criticism for the back. Like, get that first quarter under your belt. Get that right. Let's get that part right. But then the second quarter came, and then the Packers just started rolling. So then, you know, two touchdowns. Third quarter comes around. Packers start to take, you know, they just started to take off. 17 points in the third quarter for the Pack. 
fourth quarter comes around, Packers get eight. Detroit gets seven. Final score forty two to twenty one. Green Bay goes two and zero in the season. One and zero was a big win. One and zero at home for the Pack and uh, Detroit Lions. Zero and two, zero and one away. They had opportunity to last week to beat the Bears. They couldn't do it. Um, they had opportunities in this game. They weren't able to take advantage of it. Big credit for Green Bay's defense to tighten up for the rest of the game after that first quarter, allowing that fourteen points. And Matthew Stafford threw one pick. He had two touchdowns, 20 for 33, 244 yards passing. But Rodgers was solid, and he's looked, you know, as good as I've ever seen him in a Packers uniform. Rodgers was 18 for 30, 240 yards. He was averaging eight yards a catch, .6 more in Stafford uh, in the game. Two touchdowns, no picks. That's another thing no one gives him credit for. He was sacked one time. Stafford was sacked four times. But Stafford, a lot like they were giving a lot of heat to Stafford for holding on to the ball, but I don't think that's right. Like that offensive line was getting destroyed up front. Like that Packers defense, like even without Kenny Clark, like it was working, man. That was working out really well. And and the biggest story of this game was uh, Aaron Jones. For the Packers, who ran the ball 18 times for 168 yards, averaged 9.3 yards a carry, two touchdowns. He had a 75-yarder as his longest run. He was amazing. He caught a touchdown, had four catches for 68 yards, 17 yards a catch. His longest was a 30-yard catch. That was an amazing catch, too, because it came like not too long after a drop. From uh, MVS, Marquez Valdez Scantling, who redeemed himself for sure in that game. He caught another nice uh, pass after, later on in the game, but it was just that pass sums up Aaron Jones to me. Like, this is a guy that you ask him to run the ball and run the ball well, and he does it. And then you say, okay, now I need you to catch this ball. And it's going to be like, Way out there. It's not going to be the easiest ball to catch. And he'll go and do it. And that just sums it up to me. Like, he's a complete team player. Um, Jamal Williams, the second back for the Packers. Uh, let me tell you something. He was running very hard. And him and him, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, um, and now A.J. Dillon in that backfield. And you got to see a little bit of Dillon. <clears throat> he got to run the ball five times. For seven, uh, 17 yards, only averaged 3.4 uh, yards of care. Um, but Jamal Williams and the other two backs, Jones and Dylan, there's a good chemistry going here. Now, it's already been there with Williams and Jones. I noticed it last year. But now with Dylan in the backfield, and he's getting to learn from these guys, this Packers rushing attack, Packers fans, um, this is something special. There's no doubt in my mind the Packers are going to re-sign Aaron Jones. You have Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. I mean, it doesn't get doesn't get much better than that. So uh, you got Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones. You know, then you got Jamal Williams. He went eight carries, sixty three yards, averaged seven point nine yards a carry. Had a long, good, good gainer of eighteen. Dylan had a good gainer of twelve, where he ran for twelve 
a 12 yarder but uh the big the biggest thing is that um you're seeing that the rushing attack for the packers is fully present and for the lions um swift had a couple nice plays uh look out for him catching the ball too out of the backfield like as a deep flex option or something like maybe that would be something to look into as a backup you could probably pick him up off wait the waiver wire or whatever but carry on johnson ran good uh for the lions but it was only because he had that one touchdown like other than that it was little short gainers four yards average um adrian peterson had one good run a 25 yarder one nice run that could have almost took that for a touchdown like if, if he was if that was younger adrian peterson he would have took that for a touchdown like if that's 2009, 2010, Adrian Peterson, like he's going to take that one for a score. But this 2020 version, Adrian Peterson, he's not doing that anymore. But he did have a nice run. Other than that, he was seven carries for 41 yards, average 5.9 a carry. But they didn't really stick with him. They didn't really stick with him. They don't really know who their guy is back there. A little bit weird for the Lions. They don't like, I, I don't eat like Adrian Peterson at this point in his career. No way. I'd rather have Aaron Jones. Um, I'd rather have Jamal Williams, you know. So I don't know what they're doing back there. I just think that you got Adrian Peterson and carry on Johnson. Like you have to choose carry on Johnson might be the better back and just use Adrian Peterson for the bigger downs or bigger yardage situations or to uh, surprise the other team. Like, there's different things you could, they could be doing with Adrian Peterson that they're not, and I think that Matt Patricia needs to figure that part of it out to help his offense. But receiving-wise, um, I wouldn't worry Devontae Adams. in my I, From what I know, he's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. He just, since we were, after that third quarter when we scored 70 points and they didn't score any, there was no reason for Adams to play. There was, there was no reason. Our other wide receivers were picking up the slack. Tanyan caught a touchdown in that game. He had a nice touchdown. Um, you're seeing Mercedes Lewis, his evolution as a blocker, like, is so good. Sternberger, really good blocker. Irvin starting to get in the mix a little bit. Like, they're trying to get all these different guys in the mix. But Lazard, Valdez, Scanling, and Aaron Jones – you know, really all picked up the receiving when Devontae Adams was on sideline dealing with the heel, sprained ankle, you know, um, wanted to come back in. But because we were winning, there was no need for him to come back in. We were we were dominated. It, it was good to let these other guys get tick anyways. They needed some play. Um, fun stat for this game, there was no fumbles from either team. Um, our linebacker that we picked up uh, in the offseason, from the Cleveland Browns, Christian Kirksey. Uh, he was the leading tackler. And it was by far. And I noticed something out there too with the Packers defense. Like this was like he this this Kirksey uh individual, this guy took my eye. Like he caught my eye with his speed. He's very fast. Um he had ten solo tackles. 12 total, um, you know, helping out, but 10 solo. The closest was, uh, a tie for a second. 
was the Darius Smith, Kevin King, and uh, Jair Alexander all had three solo tackles. Uh, Zadarius Smith had a sack. Rashawn Gary had a sack and a half. Preston Smith had half a sack. Him and Rashawn Gary, uh, Gary teamed up on that one. Um, so you're seeing like other guys getting involved. Uh, one guy doesn't get a lot of credit is, um, Will Redman. He can kind of play anywhere in that secondary and he, he, he was, he looked good. Um, our corners, they really stepped up later in the game. Uh, Darnell Savage. Very talented. Jari Alexander is obviously the guy on the secondary, but we also have other guys that are really stepping up. And, uh, Amos out there, you know, this is a surefire secondary that people slack on. It's not a real young, uh, insult, Chandon Sullivan. This is not that young of a secondary anymore. Sullivan had that interception and returned it for the touchdown. Um, this this secondary is really something to watch when uh, you're watching the Packers game. It's it's nice to know that these guys are all swirling around back there. That's what I'm kind of taking away. Like they're all looking for opportunities to make plays, and I like when guys are trying to be playmakers. Like I really like that. So this Packers defense, look out! They are good. What a funny game between. The Panthers and the Buccaneers. Panthers go 0 and 2 on the season. They lose 17 to 31 to the Buccaneers. And it, 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 re, it really further proves the point that the Panthers defense just not that good. Because Tom Brady didn't look that good. He threw passing wise, he was 23 for 35, threw for 217 yards, averaged 6.2 yards a pass. Threw a touchdown, threw a pick. The real game behind the game was Leonard Fournette running the ball 12 times for 103 yards, averaging 8.6 yards a carry for two touchdowns. He broke one for 46 yards. Receiving-wise, Mike Evans came to life, really. like He came to life in this game. He's just been sleepwalking so far. Um through that first one and here he came to life man um seven catches for 104 yards 14.9 yards a catch a touchdown he caught a long one for 50 and he was targeted 10 times so you could see brady's a veteran quarterback if he likes you he's going to target you a lot so that's how you can kind of see this playing out for the buccaneers this year you got Mike Evans, he's been, he was targeted 10 times. Now, LaShawn McCoy was targeted seven times in the passing game. He caught five of those. That's very good as well. So you, that's also something to look out for. But OJ Howard, a guy a week ago that caught a touchdown for you that really was a, a momentum builder. Um, you threw the ball to him one time and it was for 11 yards and that was it. He targeted him three times, to be fair. But Rob Gronkowski gets one target and no catches, does and nothing. So I think we're seeing Gronkowski like evolving into a run blocker, pass blocker for Brady. And like he's going to get opportunities, but right now Brady's working with these other guys, seeing how this, how, you know, who he can trust. 
Uh, the only fumble uh, came from Tom Brady on the Buccaneers. He lost that one. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul and Levante Davis both recover, recovered fumbles in this game against the Panthers. Bridgewater had an ugly game. Um, you got to cut Bridgewater some slack. He threw the ball 42 times, completed 33 passes, 8.7 yards a pass, um, two interceptions, no touchdowns, sacked five times. The line wasn't holding up. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had two touchdowns, but was in short situational runs all day. And then the for as far as receiving went, they had two receivers go over 100 yards of DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Both were targeted 10 or more times, and that just, it didn't matter. Like, the Panthers' offense can go, but the defense can't hold. And that's the big takeaway from that game. Arizona versus Washington, you already know Kyler Murray, elusive quarterback. He's going to run all over the places the defense allows him to. If guys don't stay home at the defensive front and the defensive front seven, if guys don't stay home instead of chasing off after a receiver or tight end, then Kyler, Kyler Murray is going to make you pay. Safety has to come scoot up. Um, and that's just the bottom line on that. Like if you don't stay home against these running quarterbacks like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, you know, or any quarterback that's elusive, like they're going to burn you. Uh, Russell Wilson's another one that comes to mind. Dwayne Haskins Jr. Uh, I like Dwayne Haskins Jr. The Ohio State. 19 for 33, passing the ball, 223 yards, a touchdown, 6.8 yards uh, uh, every time he threw the ball to somebody and caught it. Sacked four times, man. The line didn't hold up for him. He held the ball a little bit too long, though. He's a young quarterback. He's going to make that mistake uh, quite a bit. He'll correct it eventually. Line's not that great, but also he was holding on. He was holding on the ball a long time, longer than he needed to. And he's not. He doesn't have the type of speed at the NFL level to get away from these guys. Like he's gonna have to learn how to be like more pocket present, like have a bigger pocket presence. Like that's where he's lacking right now. But Washington's one and one on the season. Like they do have a win. They just in in this game they couldn't do anything early on. And that's what hurt them. The third, fourth quarter came around. They were trying, still couldn't do it. But uh, they did step up a little bit. Um, they did step up in the uh, third and fourth quarter on defensive side. The, red, uh, the Washington football team did. So that was good. In the third, fourth quarter, they did step up defensively. But it wasn't enough. The Cardinals are just were just a flat-out better team. Good game for the Cardinals fans. Baltimore versus Houston. I seen it coming. I told you Baltimore is going to do it against these guys. Uh, they're just, this Houston team has got one thing going for him and it's Deshaun Watson. If he's not stellar, if he doesn't have a stellar performance, it's not happening, folks. And he did not have a stellar performance. And just all around, the Texans are in trouble. And their defense is going to be worked so hard this year because they just, they're, they're so 
bad at converting. They can't do anything at it like at, at certain points in the game. It's just a terror. It's abominable to watch. Lamar Jackson did his thing. Did his thing, man. I mean, he ran the ball. He ran the ball freaking sixteen times out of the the pocket for fifty four yards, and didn't average piddly diddle like three point four yards a carry. And he had one for that went for fourteen yards. That's still like whatever. Like I just don't, I don't like seeing that. That you know what I mean? Like I just, it's too many times, man. The quarterback ran the ball sixteen times. But I mean, that's the way that he plays, and you know. I, I can't help but cheer cheer that on if that's the way he wants to do it. 18 for 24, passing 204 yards, 8.5 yards a, a pass, touchdown. He was sacked four times. The Texans' defense is, is working. They're working really hard. They're being overworked because the offense is stagnant. J.K. Dobbins is quieter today. Um, Baltimore has got this co- a committee approach. You see it here. Um, Gus Edwards ran the ball 10 times. Ingram ran the ball nine times. Dobbins ran the ball two times. Just a week ago, Dobbins was the, was the main man. Now you got Gus Edwards was the main man in this game. Ingram did get the touchdown, but Gus Edwards had more attempts, more yards, a better average. Um, and Ingram had, uh, nine for 55 yards, nine, nine carries for 55 yards. And, um, he had himself a, a decent game there. And they were um, trying to get him involved in the passing game early on, which I thought was smart. Um, and try to let him allow, allow him to work him into that passing game because that's going to be a game changer for, if the Ravens can pull that off. Ravens defense, very underrated. Very underrated defense. The Texans will be better. They're 0 2, 0 1 at home, not good. They will be better. But the Ravens, you know, you got to give them credit where credit's due. Good coaching, uh, good, good, just flat out football. You got the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers in a game where I just felt like Patrick Mahomes just like wanted the Chargers to stick in this game. It's like something weird happened. With the quarterback for the Chargers in the beginning of that game. Um, I don't know what that was, Tyrod Taylor. Like in the beginning of that game, it was weird. He had some chest pains going on. So they start Justin Herbert, their big pick out of the draft at quarterback from Oregon. And the Ducks quarterback, man, this kid held up okay, uh, in his first game in the NFL surprise start. Seems like he knew the playbook, so that was good. That's always a good thing. Threw for more yards than Patrick Mahomes. But ultimately, it just wasn't enough. And in overtime, the Chargers offense stalled out, and the Chiefs were able to do it. But also, the Chiefs defense was good. Final score, 23-20. I thought the Chiefs would win by more, but I did have the Chiefs winning. 2-0 on the season, 1-0 away. The Chargers are... One and one on the season, zero and one at home. But there's there's bright spots here for the Chargers and running back Austin Eckler, sixteen carries, ninety three yards, five point eight average uh, carry and uh, longest of thirteen yards. Herbert 
definitely stood up well. You know, he threw for 311 yards, 22 for 33 passing, a touchdown, a pick, two sacks. You know, he was he 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 wasn't struggling as much as it just was his first start, and he wasn't like that wasn't the intention going into this game. He wasn't a starter last week. He came to this game. All of a sudden, he's a starter, and it was just he—he he stepped up, almost won them the game. It was, it was pretty impressive. Um, but Patrick Mahomes definitely—it was a streaky game early on. They—they they figured it out late in the game. Um, but it was streaky for the beginning of this game, first half, and he ended up twenty-seven for forty-seven, threw the ball forty-seven times, three hundred two yards. Two touchdowns. He was only sacked once. But the Chargers defense, you know, let me remind you, the Chargers defense is good. They showed it here. And Kansas City uh, running the ball this week was like non-existent against this team. Like Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher. Like it was not a normal week for Kansas City rushing the ball. Like, uh, Clyde's head, uh, Edwards Hilaire, 10 carries for 38 yards. I mean, there was not one rushing touchdown in this game. Receiving the balls where the Chiefs did their, you know, their work and their receivers seemed to do their due, uh, due diligence every week. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, both had 90 or more yards receiving, both had a touchdown. Both were targeted 11 or more times. Um, that's where the bread and butter of this team is. Chargers know that, and the Chiefs were still able to pull out a win here. So it's really impressive for the Chiefs, but also a lot of bright spots for this young Chargers team going forward. And um, you never know because it's really early in the season, and these injuries are piling up. But right now the Chargers defense is, uh, and right now, this Chargers defense is top five defense in the NFL. This uh, coming into week three. Chiefs defense is definitely a top five defense as well. Um, this last game we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you my uh, pick for tomorrow's game, Thursday night's game. Um, New England Patriots versus the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks uh, moved to 2-0 on the season. They beat the New England Patriots 35-30. Cam Newton, I thought he would get the job done. Unfortunately, the defense could not hold up. Um, and they just, it just, they just weren't able to contain Russell Wilson's passing attack. Uh, running the ball, there wasn't like anything that was really good. It was just Chris Carson got the bulk of the carries. He had 17 carries. The closest was a tie for a second with Russell Wilson and Carlos Hyde. So Chris Carson was a guy, 72 yards, average four yards a carry. He had a long, Longest of 13 yards uh, was his longest rush. Um, receiving the ball, DK Met, uh, Metcalf. If you don't have him in fantasy, you're not like whether it's year long fantasy, fantasy or daily fantasy, or you know, just doing weekly instead of yearly. You want DK Met, Metcalf. Um, I mean, this guy's good. Four catches, 92 yards. He had one for 23, or I mean, he was averaging 23 yards a catch. Longest of 54 yards uh, on a catch he caught. It was a nice throw from Russell Wilson, and he caught a touchdown. Um, 
Tyler Lockett was good. He caught a touchdown. David Moore caught a touchdown. Chris uh, Carson caught a touchdown. And Freddie Swain caught a touchdown. So the Seahawks were just firing on all cylinders. Like They were just, this Patriots defense, definitely I'm cooling off on. Um, they were a top five defense coming into this game, but now I bumped them probably like sixth or seventh ranked defense. Like they're definitely, I bumped them after this game. They couldn't stop the, the passing attack. The rushing attack wasn't where, like that wasn't the big deal for them. And then as, uh, for the Patriots, like running the ball, like it's good that Cam Newton can scramble out of the pocket and run for a touchdown in the goal line situations. And there's a lot of ways you could fit him in. He ran for two yard for two touchdowns in this game, but you need so you need to keep giving the ball to Sonny Michelle. He only had seven carries for 19 yards. Um, that, that was just, I don't understand that. Like Bill Belichick missed the ball there. New England receiving, they were just letting Cam Newton just try to figure this out. And Julian uh, Edelman had eight catches for 179 yards, the leading receiver for the Patriots in that game. And he was great. He was great. He didn't get, he did, wasn't able to get a touchdown, but believe me, he definitely played uh, a very good game, a great game. So at the end of uh, this week, Week two, which ended Monday. It's weird how the NFL is. Starts on Thursday, ends on Monday night. So my record for week two was 10 and six. So I had 10 right, six wrong, six games I didn't get right, 10 I got right. So not bad. This week we're going for perfect. We're going to get this. We're going to get this right. We're not messing around. We're not shooting for average. We're not trying to be mediocre. We're not trying to be, oh, let's get everything right but one that we want to, you know, take a chance on. It's not how it works. Here we go. Thursday night, September 24th, Dolphins versus Jaguars. You got Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't understand that down there. I'm not a fan of that. Jacksonville, minus three on the spread, favorite over under 47. Going to be an interesting game. I don't think this ends up being a game that everybody looks at and says, oh boy, you know, this was, you know, one of the better games of the year. I think this is a game everybody quickly tries to forget. Um, but it's football and it's Thursday night and it's something to watch. So I'm all in, but I do think the Dolphins take a beat in here. I think Jaguars beat the Dolphins pretty good here. So we're trying to start off week three, right? And, uh, we're trying to get this right. We're not trying to be right. When I look at, uh, the players to watch, uh, ESPN likes Ryan Fitzpatrick, James Robinson, and Mike Gusecki, I think you need to be watching Gardner Minshew. I think this is a Gardner Minshew show. I think he puts it on display. I think it's Thursday night. 
This kid lives for the moment. He loves the moment. And I think you get the Gardner Minshew show here. And I think the Dolphins hang around early. But then I think later in this game, the Jaguars pretty much bury the Dolphins in this one. And that's it. And that's all she wrote. So we're trying to start this off right. We've been doing good these last two weeks. So now it's time to just get everything right from here on out. That's the goal, folks. I'm going to come at you later this week with another podcast. And we'll go into a deeper dive into the uh, the rest of the games for Sunday and Monday. So now I want to get into a few sports headlines. What I'd like to tell you is that the Bulls have a head coach. They've officially hired Billy Donovan, former Oklahoma City Thunder head coach, former former championship head uh, national championship head coach of Florida University, and this is a great pickup for the Bulls. All Bulls fans should be standing up, should be happy. You've got a good, talented coach, young team, a lot of raw talent. This is going to gel really well. Some bringing some veteran leadership. Don't rule out the possibility of Chris Paul coming to Chicago. Don't rule out the possibility of uh, Giannis Ante Kumpo coming to Chicago. Um, there's so many possibilities since now the Bulls actually have a true head coach, a real head coach, not some assistants that some assistant that worked with Greg Popovich or somebody that was backbencher taking notes for some other coach. No, we got a real coach on the Chicago Bulls now. Billy Donovan, congratulations. Very, very big day for Bulls fans, uh, for Bulls lore everywhere. It's really good. It's really good. Bubba Wallace is going to be driving for owners Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin in 2021. And basically, Michael Jordan has come into NASCAR uh, with Denny Hamlin. Michael Jordan is uh, be, will be having his own um, team. Uh, and along with Denny Hamlin, will provide the resources so that Bubba Wallace is going to be able to compete on a higher level in the Cup Series and challenge. Um, since Bubba Wallace won't be re-signing with Richard Petty Motorsports, uh, I think it's I think this is very cool. I like that. Uh, I like the crossovers in sports uh, when other people from different organizations get involved in other sports. So that's cool from that aspect. Uh, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan have been friends for a long time. I think uh, NASCAR, they on NASCAR.com, they talk about it uh, for about 11 years. And uh, they just, you know, they felt like Bob Wallace would be the driver. He needed a team. He wanted a better car. You could tell that Bob Wallace is a good race car driver. He had um, quite a few top five finishes uh, or top ten finishes this year. Quite a few top 10 finishes, uh, five top 10 finishes this year and a fifth place run in the regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway. Um, now what the one knock I have against Bob Wallace is never won a race in the cup series. He has been runner up, uh, in 2018 at Daytona 500. So when I watched him this year and I'm watching him get closer and closer, 
um, and having our, and having opportunities. I could tell he needed more speed. I could tell he needed a different outfit, uh, to run with. So this is really good, um, for the sport of NASCAR. This is good for trying to attract fans. And I look at from every angle like they do. And I just see this being a good thing for everybody. But the person that gets, I feel like, the best deal out of this is Bubba Wallace. I feel like Bubba Wallace is the biggest winner here. I feel like in the long run, Michael Jordan is the is going to be a, a big winner. But I think right now, like, immediate impact, Bubba Wallace is the biggest winner. He knows who his team is. He knows who his team is, where the resources are coming from. Um, And when you are working for a guy like Denny Hamlin, Denny Hamlin's going to want to see you uh compete and he's not going to put you in something like a car that's not going to compete with his um because joe uh denny hamlin will will still be running uh under a separate team not his own so it's good that this is uh kind of how it's worked out it just seems so bizarre um it's 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 really interesting how Things can take a turn like this. Um, so since Michael Jordan's purchased the NASCAR Cup Series charter, uh, this is a done deal. Um, I just, I think it, it's happened so quick and I'm glad this happened for the sport of NASCAR. So it's really good. Um, uh, that's his Jordan Hamlin ownership. Like I think that's probably the best situation too. Like Denny Hamlin. One of the top drivers this year, if not the, has been the one of the, he's been one of the best drivers this year. I, I do say Kevin Harvick's been the best. Um, but Denny Hamlin has been close second. If not, you can, there is an argument to make that he's been the best driver this year. So, I mean, Bubba, like I said, Bubba Wallace's media impact is, this is huge for him and his future in NASCAR. So we get into a little bit of other news. Illinois State Trooper charged in connection with alleged uh, scheme to sell stolen military equipment. Did you hear about that? WGN reported that is where I seen it. Chicago postal workers threatened to stop delivering mail after multiple employees shot on the job. And the thing I don't like about that, um, and that was reported by Fox News, the thing I don't like about that, where's the mayor at? The mayor's silent. The mayor's silent on that issue. And this is happening in an area in Chicago. Um, you know, it's not all of Chicago, but basically it's just, it's, it's taken a nasty turn in the city of Chicago is all you can take away from that. Um, a 24 year old was shot while on the job earlier this month and remains hospitalized. They're offering a $50,000 reward for it, the Chicago Division of the U.S. Postal Service Inspection. A $50,000 reward. No one knows. No one knows anything, right? No one knows anything. You know, it's uh, not a good situation over there when the people that uh, deliver the mail don't even want to do their job. And I could see why. I could completely see why. I, I wouldn't be a fan of doing my job in that, uh, in that area either. Right. Wouldn't make, uh, wouldn't make you feel good. 
This is on the city south side, and I'm just saying, you know, the violence in Chicago is real. It's there, and there's another, uh, really a prime example of just how out of control the city has gotten. And like I say, the mayor's silent, the governor's silent. Something happens with Trump. Oh boy, they're quick. They're quick to lash out. And no one, does anybody else find that interesting? Does anybody else see that and say, that's, that's, yeah, there's, there's something there. Microsoft, the big story, uh, so far of the week has been Microsoft to buy Bethesda for 7.5 billion to boost Xbox. And that's the biggest story I've seen. I mean, everybody's going to tell you about RGB, Supreme Court. We'll talk about that. We'll, you know, ready. This is the super show, so we're going to cover it. But, you know, everybody doesn't want to hear the same thing. You don't come here for the same thing. I think the biggest story of the week is this. You know, and it just, I don't know, it just, it affects a lot of people. And it's interesting and it's fun. And you can see that Microsoft was just ready to spend money. And it's not annoying and it's not bothering you. It's not all in your face and no one's cramming it down your throat. If you've ever played a, a video game, then you would kind of know where I'm coming from. But 7.5 billion. So Microsoft doesn't, um, do the TikTok thing. So they just turn around and just say, forget it. This is reported by Bloomberg. They acquire Zenimax Media. Um, which is the owner of the video game publisher, Bethesda Softworks for 7.5 billion in cash. That's a, the biggest video game purchase ever. And they needed this because not only does they have the Elder Scrolls and Doom and Fallout, um, two titles slated for next year, you know, the, all these, the new consoles are coming out. Obviously no one's cutting us a break. Microsoft said 500. For the new console, so PlayStation said, okay, 500 is what ours is going to be. So no one's cutting you a break there. And then they still want you to have pay for the online service. It's a game behind the game, but it's nothing new. If you play video games, you know what it is. But these does games are really good. Because this is going back to Skyrim and just so many different games they've they've been able to pull off. So what a good move for uh, Xbox because they're going to need it. Because I think when you look at the next console generation, because like when I think of video games, I think of a console. Like, I don't know, some people do, you know, the computer. Like, I think that's the most pretty sure if you put up a chart, that's, you know, if you get a freaking big old flow chart, drag it in. You probably see PC usage is higher than Xbox and PlayStation, Nintendo, etc. But I think if you just think of video games, you would think Xbox, PlayStation. Like, you don't necessarily, like, the computer comes to mind. Like, I don't know. That was never my thought. So, when it comes to between Xbox or PlayStation, both of these new consoles are just as good as any computer that'll be on the market. That's a that's not a custom computer. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something that you just made or you had certainly built. Like, anything that's out there. That's just standard right now. It'll be better than anything out there for a while. So when these, when these come out initially, both these consoles, uh, for 500, 
I think you see the PlayStation um, early on sell more consoles. But then I think the Xbox takes off later when the better games come out for the Xbox. Because Xbox always seems to come out with a console and then like the games, they have like three or four games that are really, you really want to play. And then everything else is like, well, both systems have that. And PlayStation seems to just have a little bit better exclusives. Like a few more, like a handful more than what you get with Xbox that you can't play on Xbox. But I really don't like games that I can't play across platform on. Like if I have friends that have PlayStation and I have an Xbox, I should be able to play with my friends on PlayStation. Like every game should be able to implement that going forward. I, that's, that's another thing I don't like about a lot of games. Like unless it's just an arcade game or whatever, but I mean really it's not that like what, what is it? What is the difficulty here of making this cross platform? And maybe that's something to do with PlayStation Xbox deal or beef there. Like, I don't know the inner workings of it, but I'm just saying I, there's plenty of games that do have cross-platform. Those games I end up playing the most. You get to play against more people, too. And uh, you get to see kind of who's better at what, and that's a fun way to look at it. So, I mean, that's the other thing I've seen with the consoles. Like, in this new console race, I I think the PlayStation, like, my prediction is that the PlayStation sells more off the bat. But then the Xbox comes back over time, three, four years, and by that time, like, Xbox has sold more consoles. But then I think the PlayStation ultimately sells more games. Like, somehow the PlayStation is still going to sell more games just because of, like, it's. I think it's going to start off hot. This PlayStation starting, like, I'm hearing rumblings and people talking, and I'm not seeing a lot of talk about the Xbox. I'm just seeing, like, certain things being talked about in the Xbox. But most of the talking I've seen online, like video game websites that are technology websites, it's all PlayStation oriented. So that's really what's being pushed. And it is what it is. But I think that's kind of how it goes. I I think that's your, you know, my prediction to you is that you're going to see PlayStation boom right off the bat. But then it's going to slow down. It'll slow down immensely. And then Xbox will pick up the slack over three, four years. Xbox completely crush the sales of the playstation 5 the new xbox will but i think that's where it's headed i think and i think you know video games as a whole is headed uh kind of in that direction so everybody is um telling you about ruth bader ginsburg um rbg ruth bader ginsburg everybody wants to talk about that so we're going to talk about that and then uh we'll wrap it up here on the super show um you know, when it comes down to everything going on right now uh, in politics, you know, there's really what what better way to go out on the show than, you know, with some good news. So Mitt Romney finally sticks his, his uh, neck out there and says uh, he's going to support uh, the pick. That President Trump puts up, he's, he'll go through the process, but with Romney's support, it is likely that that's going to seal the deal. That as long as Romney says, yeah, it's a go, the rest of the Republicans, that may be wishy-washy, won't be so wishy-washy. So that's the mentality, that's the notion, the narrative right now. Um, I think, you know, that's a lot of that's true, uh, but I also think that it was in the bag either way. 
Like, I don't think his, like, maybe if he said no, that would make a big deal. But I still don't think it, I still think there would be a, a way to get, uh, Murkowski or Senator Collins to, uh, surefire a way at this and, and get a yes vote. I think they would come around, honestly. <clears throat> Especially when everybody's fighting, uh, for most, most everybody in the house, I think everybody, uh, that's anybody in the house and most, uh, most of the senators are up for reelection. So you got the uh, little Romney news. He decided he was going to, you know, speak up and that's good. He said something about all this, but you know, I got this, uh, this mashup for you that I made. I think this is a great way to go out. I would say on Friday or Saturday, I'll be announcing the pick. Uh, it's uh, five women are being looked at and vetted very carefully. Five. And uh, we'll make a decision probably Saturday, but Friday or Saturday. Do you, do you plan to meet with Got the votes to confirm. Uh, Justice Ginsburg replacement before the election. Great to know that we got the votes in the Senate. Uh, I think Amy Coney Barrett would be a tremendous selection and a tremendous asset to the Supreme Court. He wants the discussion about what I, who I would appoint. Should voters know? Should voters know who you're going to appoint? No, they don't. Because I will be calling on the Florida Attorney General to launch an investigation into Mike Bloomberg for potentially engaging in bribery and vote buying in the state of Florida. Uh, for getting blamed for not having a stimulus package would be the Democrats in the House and the Republicans in the Senate. All of the House is running for re-election. Much of the Senate is running for re-election. So the pressure will continue to build on the leadership to try and get something out the door. Between you and I think Secretary Mnuchin, I mean, what deal can we have, uh, crazy Nancy? I'm sorry, I, th that was the president. Nancy Pelosi crowing about how Donald Trump was doing great violence to our institutions to now see the Democrats threatening impeachment to try to procedurally jam the Senate. It doesn't get much clearer than that, folks. The choice is coming. It's coming really soon. For some of you, it's already, it's already been made. It's already, your ballot's already been casted. But for the bulk of people, for the majority of people, the choice is nearing. You see what the Democrats are up to. Same old tricks, same old song and dance. You heard it. You heard it clear as day. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to find out. They just want your vote. You have a choice, America. It doesn't get much clearer than this. I feel really good about where this country's headed. I wish more people shared that enthusiasm. You see, hear these reporters? The president answers the question and then eh, 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 bah, 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 bombard him again. Nonstop. Constant. Annoying noise from the media. All for what? To prove a point? What point is that? What point are they trying to prove? Because I'm still not convinced. They know. What point they're trying to prove. 
my mind is made up. That's because I can see through the phony, fake, fraudulent news for what it is. And you hear the conservatives. You hear the conservatives. Representative Matt Gates, Representative Jim Jordan, Mick Mulvaney. You hear all the different conservatives united. Even the uh, one uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, Mitt Romney. United. Ruth Bader Ginsburg served. She did what she wanted to do and she lived her life the way she wanted. <clears throat> That's the way I look at it. It's time to move on. You know, see, I wasn't one of these conservatives that didn't want to take a vote on Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court when Obama was able to serve. But Ted Cruz made a great point and said on Fox News that everybody's changed their their tune. Everybody's changed their stance. Not just conservatives. It's a phony narrative. That's a that's a phony narrative. They're running on all these different late night shows that are completely failing. They're dying. They're like a freaking skeleton in the desert that they're just there. It's they're not going anywhere. It's nothing. It's bone dry. It's it's not interesting anymore. It, it, I mean, I don't understand it. You get more of a laugh watching reaction videos on YouTube than you will from watching the late night talk shows because it's basically the same thing. I don't, I don't uh, see where the late night talk show is going. It's not headed in a good direction. <clears throat> So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her, her seat needs to be filled. The Supreme Court's 4-4, four, four, four conservatives, four liberals. So we're to believe. So if that's the case, then obviously because it's in the Constitution that the sitting president must fill the seat. There's nothing about it being an election year that, that can happen. Or the magnitude of one's death or impact of one's death on the nation should slow the progress down. It's not inhumane. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, she could have stepped down any time. She decided to wait it out as long as she could. That was her choice. But she could have stepped down. When Obama was president and had the seat filled. So there was plenty of opportunities um, for her to step down and that seat to be filled. And the Democrats assured her to keep that seat and stay in there. And she definitely did it. And now it's time for change. Now it's time for progress to move forward. So the seat must be filled. The conservatives sound united. And I'm very proud to be an American. I'm very happy to do this show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back this week with another great 
super show for you. I have an awesome show. We'll get into the, we'll get into the, uh, all my picks for you for Sunday and Monday, uh, night football. Just like the hands of time, I'm turning it over to you. Good night, everyone.